Hello, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for taking the time to listen. I'm Grant Smaley, and this is Favorite Feature Films, a show where movie fans talk about everything to do with movies and the reasons why we love them. Since the creation of modern cinema in the early 20th century, the silver screen has dazzled audiences of all ages and has played an integral role in the cultural development of the United States. Some of the most popular movies of all time include a mix of black and white films from a bygone era to ones full of computer graphics and special effects. With the rise of technology, computers, and digital platforms, our access to movies has never been greater. Superheroes come to life and save the day, historical dramas remind us of days long forgotten, and the colorful animation takes us on an adventure to a whole new world. But what about these movies keeps us coming back? What elements connect with us not only superficially, but also on a very personal level? For me, I have always loved everything about movies. The lines, costumes, soundtracks, the actors, the glamour, and the thrill of sitting in a movie theater in front of that larger-than-life silver screen. It has been an escape away from the regular duties of everyday life, and yet providing images and examples of how one should act, live, and love. This podcast has allowed me to talk about the movies that I have loved throughout my life, and the memories and lessons that I have learned. I want to find out how others feel about movies, and discover the personal connections that they have made. In this episode, I begin that journey exploring the reasons why films are embedded in all of our lives, and the joy we experience when we take the time to sit and watch not only with our eyes, but with our souls. My guest interview is with Jane Karenin, a programming assistant at Film Scene in Iowa City, Iowa, who shares her personal and professional insight into why movies play such a large role in all of our lives. You have your popcorn, the previews are over, and now, here is my interview with Jane Karenin. Tell us about your, your journey from, you said you were from the Midwest area, Iowa area. Yes. Tell us about your journey f- to California and now back working with Film Scene. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, I am from Iowa City. I was born and raised here and I had never really thought about doing film. I wanted to be like a visual artist for a very long time. I wanted to be a writer. I did journalism and newspaper in high school. And there were a lot of different directions that I wanted to take. But then when I was doing research on schools my senior year of high school, I landed on USC's film program. And I decided to throw my head into the ring, got in, ended up going there. I had never been to California before uh, moving into my dorm. And so it was a big change. There was a lot to get used to. And I still don't know that that is the best choice for somebody to just fling them into a situation like that after living in such distanced conditions. But I uh, basically just committed my life to film after that. It wasn't even really a conscious decision. It was just like, this is what I'm doing now. And so it's what I will do when I want to be the best at it. Wrote a lot of scripts, watched a lot of movies. They made me make a couple movies. I was never very good at that. At that, you know, the <laughs> the actively holding a camera and shooting something. That's not really my forte. I worked for like the school's television station, recorded a lot of live TV, did student radio, like I mentioned, uh, had a radio show for my last three years of college, worked in the cinema library and was just always around scholars of the cinematic arts. And there came a point when I graduated where I was like, I can't really do anything else because I've just committed so much of my life to this and not Mm -hmm. in a bad way. It was just kind of funny to come out of college realizing, oh, I did learn something and I am a different person now. 
I, I graduated into the pandemic, so I kind of bounced around Los Angeles and San Diego for a while and just wasn't able to find consistent work in mm-hmm. the industry because a lot of it had been shut down at the time. And I, I didn't have a lot of the resources that perhaps some of my other classmates did going to the school that I did. So I ended up packing up all of my stuff into a van uh, with my two cats and I drove home to stay with my dad for a while. And then I ended up finding film scene. I did freelance work in between. Like you saw, I worked at Webtoon as a comic writer of a freelance comic writer for about a year and a half um i've done like freelance administrative work for various organizations freelance assistantships uh for people working in the industry but i'm so grateful that i have something consistent and also relevant to my degree and in my field that i love and care about now so that's what brought me to film scene yeah that's an important connection having your degree and putting all that effort in and then finding something that kind of validates your effort Not only that, but something that gives back to a community that means so much to me. Um, I I think it's such a unique thing to be able to go back to your hometown and also find a career in your field that makes an impact in your hometown. And so I just feel very grateful that I was able to do that. Film scene gave me a lot when I was a high schooler and being able to kind of continue that tradition of exposing our greater community to meaningful films and meaningful works of art is so valuable. So you did go to movies with Film Scene as, as you were yeah. before you actually got to work at Film Scene. I know. I, I saw a lot of films here when I was in high school just because there were a lot of smaller independent movies that I couldn't really see anywhere else. And I remember always feeling left out of the conversation um, in online film circles where a lot of these people were living in bigger cities and had more access to cinema and I didn't. And then Film Scene arrived when I was maybe a freshman in okay. high school, I mm-hmm. think. And so I got to start seeing movies there. Um, I think the very first movie I saw at Film Scene was Finding Vivian Meyer, a documentary about the oh. photographer Vivian Meyer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the rest the rest was history. So, <laughs> as a screenwriter, and you've had educational work in it, and you have done a few projects writing scripts and screenwriting how difficult is that because sometimes you know as the casual viewer like myself i watch a movie or i watch a tv show and i think i could write better script than that like (laughs) come on so how actually difficult is it because i'm sure there's aspects of the industry that i'm missing well i think the thing about a script is it i feel like a lot of the times it can feel like lowest part of the totem pole in filmmaking so much of a script will get changed while a film is shooting so much of the script doesn't belong to the writer anymore once it's Mm -hmm. sold to a production company and so maybe the script that you're watching in the theater is not necessarily the one that the artist put to paper and that can always be frustrating but the act of writing a screenplay is so solitary and time consuming and i think that's the most challenging thing about it tv is a lot more fun because you get to work in a room you get to talk to other people um you get to be bouncing all of these ideas off of each other but the screenplay is so independent and isolating and it's hard to be isolated when you are actively working on a piece of art that's supposed to organically reproduce how people people speak and communicate with one another. And so how can you do that when you're alone in a room, really? I think that's the challenge. No matter how good of a writer you are, your abilities kind of start to plateau at a point because you can only write so much about communication when you're not doing that yourself. And I, I, I think the script is one of the hardest 
things to write. I write short fiction also, and that's always been a little bit more organic for me. Um, But the script, having to reproduce how people speak, that's the most challenging part of it all, because when it doesn't sound organic, you can tell right away. Right. Um, It's challenging. It's always been challenging. I don't know that any of the scripts I've ever written are good, Mm -hmm. but I've written them, so. Right. And with film scene being in the Iowa City general area, what is your role on the team? Uh, Official titles, programming assistant, but what exactly do you do in film scene team? Sure. Well, I, as part of the programming team, I report to my boss, Ben, who has been at film scene for about maybe a year and a half longer than I have. And he's great. He's really knowledgeable. He's worked at a bunch of other theaters. I always tell people he's the one with the master's degree. So, you know, (laughs) like, like forward forward all queries to him but what we do is essentially we're responsible for getting the movies on screen which seems like a straightforward and easy task at first but i think when you're an independent art house movie theater and a nonprofit in the way that you are and the way that we are we are kind of required to build out a much more complex slate of films and events and bring in guests and speakers and partners and find ways to convince the community that like this is an experience you could only get here Um, that we are curating these experiences specifically for you and keeping the community in mind always and trying to build out a slate of films that will resonate with the people who live in the greater Iowa City area. We maintain relationships with a lot of different film distributors from, you know, like Disney to A24, like the the full spectrum. And uh, we do our best to, you know, select and handpick the films that we think will mean the most to our community. Um, A lot of that is getting to watch movies before they come out, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, I feel like people hear that and are like, oh, what a fun perk of the job. But it's also like, you know, there are so many movies all of the time and you're really combing through them and watching a movie is a commitment. (laughs) Like it's hard. You have to really sit with it and think about it and put away two hours of your life to it. But we program the slate of films we organize guests to come and speak after or before films. We find partners within the community to work with. Um, and we just try to build out unique events that will get people into the movie theater, get people excited about seeing movies that maybe they wouldn't have the opportunity to see anywhere else. Because we definitely do a lot of that. We're showing a lot of movies that you really can't see anywhere but film scene. Yeah, that was my next question was, do you include the big blockbuster movies that the other movie theaters kind of more are putting out? Or do you focus more on other films that are not going to be on everyone's radar if they only focus on you sure. know, the Fandango website, for example? Yeah, um, well, I, I think pre- you know, I wasn't here. I've only been here not even a year. My year is like the end of May. Okay. So. Awesome. Congratulations. But, uh, thank you. <laughs> Almost there. Um, I think pre-pandemic, the movie climate was a little bit different. Um, I think film scene kind of could just be the independent art house movie theater. I think post-pandemic, we have been showing more of the blockbusters just because we do want to remind people that we're here and encourage them to come to our theater and maybe you know that blockbuster will be the first step to seeing a smaller art house film the crux of our existence like our greatest commitment is bringing smaller art house cinema that maybe you haven't necessarily heard of but is still you know a meaningful work of art that you should see that's always been our commitment and i think that's what we'll stick to for as long as we're operating with movies in general, let's talk about kind of your personal view on movies in general. What are some aspects of movies that you think make them worthwhile? Or in other words, like, why do you watch movies? Why do I watch movies? Um, well, I think 
I think what first got me into movies was that it is the most accessible art form. That's what I would argue. I think I would die on that hill. It really <laughs> is just film is for everybody. It's being made to be watched and consumed by as many people as possible. No one's, uh, I, I guess you can say that about all art. Everybody wants people to look at their art, but I don't know. Film is so readily accessible. I think it's a format that people are just familiar with. It doesn't really feel exclusive necessarily. But of course, you know, you delve a little bit deeper into the film world and you start to realize that there are films that perhaps have this air of exclusivity, even though they shouldn't. I really think films are for all people. So that's why I started watching movies. Um, I think what has kept me so enamored with film and the moving image is I have not stopped learning since I started watching movies. Every movie teaches me something completely new. Every movie exposes me to a way to utilize the medium that I've never seen before. Even if it's a movie that I didn't particularly enjoy, I feel like it still teaches me something. And I think the people who were behind that film still put a lot of love and care and innovation into it. There are some films that I will not mention that I think, you know, maybe don't necessarily have a lot of artistic merit, maybe are not being made with a ton of love and intention um, and are being made for a purpose that I also will not mention. But I fundamentally, I think that every film wants to say something and every film is important because of that. The library of film is never ending and it's crazy because it's such a young medium also. Um, it, it, it's an art form that has only existed for like a little over a hundred years and there I'm not even close like I haven't even made a dent and I think that also keeps me keeps me watching um, like the rapidity with which film evolved and has become something so much bigger than it you know train pulling into station is just crazy to me there's so much history packed into that 100 year span mm -hmm. and being able to you can watch it happen in real time if you're just watching movies i don't think a lot of other art forms you can't really watch them adapt in real time and so that's that's what's so exciting about movies. What are some ways that you think movies can be personally impactful in people's lives? Like make them a better person going to watch movies? Because there's so many characters and storylines and, you know, situations and we see decisions being made on film and the ramifications of those decisions. So how can movies, when someone goes to the theater, look at a movie and then walk out a, a changed person? This is hard for me to answer because I think... There is obviously the part of me that does genuinely believe that art and film specifically can change people and can change the world, but then it's like, it's like the two wolves inside of you, right? The other one is like, that's, it's naive to believe that. It's mm -hmm. naive to believe that a film is really going to change a person. And I think there are obviously, I don't know, we live in kind of a disheartening time. And so it's harder for me to maintain the wolf that believes that film can change people. But I think when you go into a movie, you go into it, you know, it's, unless you're seeing a documentary, it's fiction. It's supposed to be some kind of reflection of the world, but not necessarily a verbatim reflection of the world. And I think often fiction can sway people in a way that just speaking to them and reasoning with them can't. Something like a film requires you to do the thinking when you are speaking to a person or trying to reason with someone who doesn't share your opinions. The implication here is that you're an aggressor and they don't want to change because it's just so easy to be resistant to changing when someone is just speaking to you but mm -hmm. 
with a film, you're sort of eased into the prospect of change. You're given the opportunity to connect the dots yourself and to either utilize the tools that a film has given you to become a better person or to leave unchanged. And I think, again, accessibility is such a big factor here. Anybody can go to a movie theater and see a movie. It's not a terribly exclusive event. And so there are that many more opportunities for people to change. I I wish movies could do more. I really do. But even if somebody can be swayed by one film and even if one person can be impacted by a film i feel like that's evidence enough that the medium is working it's doing what it set out to do that's a very positive outlook on movies i want to have that positive outlook you know because i do think it's naive i fundamentally i think the bigger (laughs) wolf in me i'm sorry i keep going back to this but it believes that it, it is naive to believe that film can change people but even if it changes one person even if somebody is kind of like tricked into changing or wanting to make change because they saw something that they presumed to be fiction and then did the critical thinking and put it together that like this is what i believe now that's a testament to film's impact even just one that's a lot of personal development that can take place within a two and a half three hour time span right if you (laughs) if you watch a movie and then you do take that effort to critically think about it and judge the decisions being made and apply them to your own life that's asking a lot of people but if it does take place like you said that can be really impactful and so i think that is the positivity that comes from the movies is it gives people the opportunity now whether they do it or not that's up to them but that's a great medium i think also movies that have the combination of elements when you're speaking one-on-one you don't have music playing in the background you don't have the ability to kind of have this dramatic camera panning of a scene right you're just looking at someone face to face so it's very seem one-dimensional but with movies you can add so much creativity to the shot itself and you add so many elements on top of it like the music where you know i'm feeling inspiration or i'm feeling sad or happy depending on the movie in a moment where i would never get that talking face to face and so i think that's another positive thing that come from movies is <laughs> it is truly a unique environment for me to feel inspirational exactly yeah i think having a conversation or a trying to have a productive discussion with somebody who doesn't necessarily believe in the same things that you do can often just be an echo chamber and kind of a fruitless endeavor but film being so easily accessible it doesn't feel as though you have to argue it doesn't feel as though you're being challenged it just feels as though you're being presented with this human story and you get to draw your conclusions and that's what's so valuable about it I'm going to ask you to see if you can name five of your favorite movies. Now, I recognize, having been asked this and many other kind of top five questions, that they don't necessarily have to be in order, and I know that there may be movies that are going to be left out. Mm -hmm. I fully understand that. I I think my favorite movie list is over 100. So it's, it's hard to make a list. But can you name five that are some of your favorites? Sure. One movie that I watched very recently, and it's crazy that I had never seen it until a couple months ago, but Raging Bull, I think is maybe my favorite movie okay. of all time. I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen it. So, Oh, great. Your recommendation is... It's so good. Okay, Raging I, Bull. I will not forget that. It's one of those movies, like it's a Martin Scorsese movie, you know? So it's like, of course it's going to be good. And it's kind of, it feels like a little bit like a homework movie. Like you watch it in film school and... 
I didn't watch it in film school. Clearly, I wasn't given that opportunity. But it was something I was just like scrolling through HBO Max and watching whatever I landed on. And I was just so completely enthralled within the very first opening sequence. It's, it's one of the most beautiful opening credit sequences I've ever seen in my life. And I remember my jaw just like dropping, like watching it on my like not very HD television <laughs> in my apartment. And I just can't even imagine getting to see it in a movie theater. It, it's astonishing how beautiful that movie is visually. And, like, it, it really is as good as everybody says it is. <laughs> like, I, I just had, I don't know, I think it's so rare. I feel like sometimes when everybody loves a movie, you're averse to watching it. But right. it really was so good. So Raging Bull is definitely my all-time favorite right now. Okay. Um, I think I have a soft spot for The Princess Diaries. <laughs> okay. It's one of... It's another Fantastic. one of my favorites of all time. I love it. I think it's so sweet. I think it's a perfect, like, adolescent teen movie. Everybody in it is amazing. Anne Hathaway's, like, earliest, one of her earliest roles where she's really just, like, serving the whole movie. It's so good. Um, Does that include the second movie, or is it exclusively to the first? I am a first Princess Diaries truther. Okay. Um, I think <laughs> there are a lot of people who stand by the second one, but I firmly believe that she should have ended up with Michael Moss and so that's why I know I do Mark not care for the Pine. pivot to Chris Pine. <laughs> I loved Michael. And so, I mean, the pizza with, with the M&Ms oh. that spelled out, sorry, Classic. come on, the romance. Classic. Yeah. Chris Pine wasn't going to do all that. Chris Pine has never ordered a pizza in his life. So <laughs> I, you know... I just had a lot of difficulty buying the second movie. Okay, so number one for sure. I yes. like. Okay, I like it. We're off uh, to a great start. This is fantastic. I know. I, I really love movies, so it's, it is a challenge. Good for you. I do too. There, it's perfect. It's a perfect medium. Um, and Bringing Up Baby is another, I just think it's the funniest movie that's ever been made. Uh, it's Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant attempting to raise a leopard together, basically. Raise um, a, a leopard? Yes, Catherine Hepburn has a leopard named Baby. The, the baby in question is a leopard. Is a leopard. Yes. Oh, it's so good. It's so funny. It's hilarious. Catherine Hepburn is just, uh, she's a firecracker in it. Like, her transatlantic accent is rattling at, like, 200 words per minute. She's amazing. And Cary Grant, that's quite a... Oh, and Cary Grant, I know. He's so cute in that movie. He's always, like, falling over, taking his little tumbles. He's an archaeologist who has, like, a bone that he needs to protect. It's just so silly. They're, they're not making silly movies like that anymore. No. So, yeah, that's up there. Another silly movie, uh, another older one, A Hard Day's Night, the, the Beatles film. I, oh, it's so funny. I watched that one in film school, and I walked out of it like, I get it. I get why the Beatles were this international phenomenon all of a sudden, because <laughs> they are so cute in that movie. They're so charming. <laughs> they're just, they're precious. And that one is genuinely hilarious. I think it's probably the best of the Beatles films. Is it a, is it a documentary format, or is it a regular... It's, it's sort of a mockumentary. Um, okay. It's like following the Beatles on their tour, but they're getting up to all kinds of like silly hijinks. So <laughs> it's it's delightful. Number five, maybe four and a half. I don't think the Princess Diaries fully counts, um, I, but oh. I think <laughs> I, I would count it. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, another one that I saw recently, um, Abbas Kiarostami's Close Up. It's sort of like this quarter, it, I mean, it's not sort of like, I, I have to stop talking like that. It, it's this cornerstone of Iranian cinema. It's the synthesis of documentary and real life. It's about this man who had been posturing himself as another famous Iranian filmmaker, Moshin Makhmalbaf. This really happened, but then Abbas Kiarostami made this sort of like hybrid fiction documentary about the man who was posing as Makhmalbaf. And it, it's kind of unlike any movie I've ever seen before. It's 
a reinvention of the medium. I think it's a great launching point into Iranian cinema. I feel like that's something you see a lot is this kind of acting out of real life. Um, so not a documentary, but you are performing real life. Different from acting. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, that one was fantastic. I watched that with my mom. That's kind of like mind-boggling, trying to figure out, okay, who is who? And who, like, this man is playing a man in the film. But he's playing himself. But he's playing himself. <laughs> yes. And the film is about him. He's playing himself, Not pretending to be another man. Right. Yes. Oh, see. It's amazing. Mind-boggling. Yeah. 10.30 in the morning. Mind-boggling. <laughs> learn, learn new things every day. Fantastic. What are your five favorite movies? I, okay, I wrote them down. Okay. Because I spent, oh, I probably spent a long time thinking about this. And I have a bookcase in my living room that's full of the movies that I personally own. I know, yeah. I have the same thing. Yeah. And and listening to you, I realized that my movies are more mainstream because oh. I have not been exposed to as much of the Indian films or Iranian films mm -hmm. or anything like that as much as you have. And so your five is different than my five. Mm -hmm. But it's really, really nice to hear your five because it's recommendations that I can now be sure. experienced to different types. Well, no, I'm so curious. Like, I love a lot of, like, quote-unquote mainstream movies. Right. So the first one that I wrote down that was kind of instinctive mm -hmm. was The Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. And I think the main reason I wrote it down is because Jack Sparrow as a character is relatable to everyday life. Like there's so many lines and so many actions from him specifically that I just apply in my life. It's sort of instinctual for me and, and I love it. I think Johnny Depp, that might be his best. Genuinely such a good script too. If I was teaching oh, a screenwriting yeah. class, I, that would be in, in the syllabus. Oh, it's yeah. so good. So that's number one. The second one is Casablanca. Okay. That might be my favorite movie of all time. If I'm talking a single individual film, Sure. I watch it and love it every single time. I think the casting is fantastic. And it's an old movie that is not an old movie. Mm -hmm. You know, when people think about old movies, they think, oh, this is so boring. The acting's not as good. The cinematography's not very good. But I think it, this blows everything out of the water, personally. I think, yeah, people are not giving old movies a chance. They really right. knew how to make a movie back then. Oh, yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Casablanca is much better than Citizen Kane. I know a lot of people will fight me on that. But it's like you you love uh, you stand one or the other, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. I will die on that hill. Sure. We've talked about the hill you will die on. Yeah. Casablanca over this Citizen is Kane hill. is one that I will die uh -huh. on. Um, I think Star Wars, especially the original three, mm -hmm. uh, in 70s and 80s, fantastic. Do you Trans have a favorite of those three? Ooh. I think Star Wars, just the original, okay. would be the best of the three, in my opinion, just because it set everything up. And it's so well done for the time period. And, you know, there's documentaries that have come out about behind the scenes and how they filmed everything. It just, it makes me in awe of the, like, cinematic genius and vision of George Lucas and the actual execution of it. Because I could try to do the exact same things and have the exact same setup, and it would not look like what Star Wars looks like, right? And it would not be as big. I think overall, transformed generations with Star Wars franchise. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I think you could start building miniatures now and just see what happens. Yeah? Yeah, like puppets. I, that's most of what Star Wars was. Right. <laughs> it's just exactly. like he wanted to build some puppets, and then he made them talk to each other. It's, right. Yeah. Anyone can make a puppet. That's, that's I've been true. thinking about getting into it. Really? Yeah. I think it'd be easy to start small, like make like a Muppet type thing and right. then like get a little bit bigger. Well, maybe that would get you back into the holding the camera aspect. No, I'm never going back. No, you're never going back. <laughs> <No. laughs> Leave that to someone else. Yeah. You make the puppet, I'll be, I'll hold the camera. Exactly. And then my mom helped me grow up on Shakespeare and British films. So like the BBC. Sure. So Pride and Prejudice for me is a great one. Which, which one? 2005? I love the 2005 but I would choose... You mean the Colin the 19, Firth one? Yeah. Wow. The six-hour one. Okay. I have reasons for loving both, mm -hmm. 
but I think if I have to choose one, it's the six hour one. I think that's totally fair. That's totally fair. That one, it, it's an incredible mini series. Yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. I mean, I yeah. grew up in the time when it was all on VHS tapes. Oh yeah, so sure. So I had to put in each one individually. <laughs> and then when the DVD came out and I have that version and I'd watched I it, I watched it like recently, like a year ago, but it would like fade and then it would go straight into the next episode or series. Oh, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, uh -huh. that was the VCR change. Yeah. It's like, I know exactly where those are. That's so funny. Which is fantastic. Yeah. But that kind of helped me. It helped me understand what kind of a gentleman should look like. The qualities of a gentleman. That is what I formulated in The Pride and Prejudice was, okay, I shouldn't act this way. I shouldn't be prideful. Like, I shouldn't be... <laughs> should be arrogant. I shouldn't be arrogant. I shouldn't be yeah. dismissive of other people because they're different than me. I should be different than that. I should be inclusive yeah. and I should be friendly and courteous and everything like that so sure do you have a favorite of the boys in that film i i love elizabeth's dad i think he's my favorite oh, boy he's in funny. The movie. i mean i laugh at bingley just because he's he's delightful he's, he's, he's kind of is like this lovable fool yeah. right but um i mean i'm gonna go mainstream here it's darcy Elder. sure yeah it's completely darcy fair <laughs> yeah you and everybody else right exactly <laughs> yeah. i'm just gonna follow the leader and follow the crowd <laughs> and then the last one i wrote down was the dark knight trilogy Ooh. Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. That cinematography blew my mind. Like, that was crazy good. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that one made the list is because the soundtrack oh. is a great complement to what is actually happening in yeah. the film. Because if you take the soundtrack out or you change it into something that's not quite Hans Zimmer, mm -hmm. then I think it lessens the overall movie. I think oh, the movie's yeah. still good. The lines are still good. Christian Bale, Gary Oldman, <laughs> Heath Ledger, like all of those actors still do a great job in their portrayal. But I think the soundtrack just gives it that extra oomph, mm -hmm. right? And it really is like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing this in the theater, surround sound. It's yeah. blowing my eardrums, but it's absolutely fantastic. Christopher Nolan knows how to build an experience. Like I don't, oh, I, yeah. I think he's one of our greatest living directors. He's he's so talented. That's high praise. I love him. I do. I think I love Interstellar. Um, I think it's one of oh, my yeah. favorite movies of all time. That's definitely up there. Um, but he's so talented. I rewatched those recently. It's the first time since I had been like a, a kid, like a teenager. And they really hold up. They're still so good. So anyway, there's my top five. And I, I could go on for hours. Right? I'm sure you could too. Yeah. Just continue just to rattling keep, off yeah, riffing movies off each after other. movies. Yeah. I think those are great choices. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, loving a mainstream movie. Right. There are plenty that I really do love and admire. Alien, like I think Alien's one of the oh, best yeah. movies of all time. See, I forget uh, about a lot of these movies and then you bring it up and I'm like, yes. Movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to rewatch that. It's just I'm li literally always watching movies. I think I'm at my 97th movie of the year right now. Wow, 97. So I, I don't do a lot of other things except for watch movies. That's so. fantastic. That's almost a movie a day. I'm trying to do math in That's my head. That's a little like, more than a movie a day right now. I, I want to build a little bit of insurance because I do want to get to 365, but okay. I try, if I can do two in a day, like I'll do it. Do you do any rewatches or is this strictly 365 oh, No, I definitely movies? am rewatching okay. movies all the time. Okay. Um, if I really love something, I have to, <gasps> I forgot about one of my favorite movies. Oh, I'm see, so sorry. No, 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 no. no, no. I totally, like this blow, uh, Fanny and Alexander, Ingmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander is. Oh, I know nothing about this. This is fantastic. It's just incredible. It's this multi, it's this Swedish multi-generational family family drama it's like magical realism it's this beautiful lush set it has these intersections of like reckoning with one's religion and reckoning with one's family and one's personal beliefs and it's it was also like a miniseries and a film the film is just a shortened version of the miniseries the miniseries is like five and a half hours long mm -hmm. so good i think that's maybe above raging bull even 
I'm oh. sorry, I forgot. I can't believe no. I forgot about. No, I'm apologizing to like Ingmar Bergman. Um, I like I, <laughs> I so feel so bad that I forgot. <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, that one's so good. Those flashes of inspiration are are worth it. Right? We talk about <laughs> yeah. movies and we're on a roll, and you I talked know. about more kind of outside the mainstream. I went totally mainstream, and then now bam, people have this this great roster of films to they watch if or they re-watch. or rewatch. Yeah, I know. I hope people listen to this and come away with a with a new film to watch. Fanny Alexander, watch it if you get the chance. I think it's on the Criterion channel. Or I also have the Blu-ray. So if right. you want to borrow it. <laughs> if you're still into physical copies of movies. Yes, I also have the Blu-ray. So, um, But I will need it back if anybody would like to borrow it. <laughs> well, Jane Karen, they are programming assistant at Film Scene. Thank you for being here. This was fantastic. Thank you for having me. No, I had a lot of fun. Glad I hope I did. answered all of your questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And we, you know, we let things roll and we take it where it goes and we have inspiration on movies we forgot and we just roll with it. So yeah. this was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, thanks for having me. That was my interview with Jane Karenin, and thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope you found a connection to your love of movies, and potentially discovered one that you can experience for the first time, or a reminder to watch a forgotten favorite. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and other movie lovers they can find it on any computer or mobile device, through Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well folks, that's a wrap. I'm Grant Smaley, and this has been Favorite Feature Films. Thanks for listening.